Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Medium Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files, links for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Tom. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm a compulsive overeater, <laughs> and uh, I want to thank David uh, for asking me to share, and um, actually, I want to thank everybody just for coming. Uh, you know, I, 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 I am um, I'm a person who's recovering, and it's a miracle, and I'm just so grateful for it, um, and, you know, I have, I have a lot to say, and I'm going to try to, you know, to... to make some sense, you know, because I, I, I'm a little scattered, and sometimes it doesn't make sense, but I, I want to start by saying that uh, it, it seems like a very small thing. Sometimes I think the smallest things are the most important things, but, you know, getting to stand up, you know, while people sing, and then getting to blow out a little candle, you know, like sort of feeling like, you know, I'm the center of attention, that is something that before I came into these rooms, I absolutely could not do and absolutely would not do. I mean, you could put a gun to my head and I would not get up. I would not be in the center. My whole life was spent on the periphery. And, and I wanted to be on the periphery of a group that was looking in with nobody standing behind me. Because I wanted to make sure that I could look around and see what was going on but nobody could see me. That's the perfect position for me to be. And this thing that we do is the exact opposite of that. I mean, if, if we do this thing well and, and it's successful, we're supposed to go right into the center. I mean, we're supposed to raise our hands and say, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, and have people sing and blow out the candle, and that is something that, just that I can do that semi willingly and semi-gracefully is, is a great miracle. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about food. I, to be totally candid, I'm not that interested in, in my food story. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that we're all here together over food, and I love food. Um, but I think the, the real reason we're together is because all of us here, when we stop compulsively overeating feelings come on and that's why we're here to sort of help each other understand what to do when the feelings come on because I never knew what to do when the feelings came on and that's why I ate and did other things uh, I did not want to have feelings um, my experience in this and other fellowships is that when I stop doing the things that suppress the feelings um, I grow and that's the real um, miracle you know of recovery is getting to grow getting to grow up uh, learning who I am as a person getting to have a relationship with myself having relationships with other people who will mirror back to me I mean, I learned who I was in these rooms. I had no idea who I was when I started recovery. And um, I did not want to grow. I mean, I, I, this whole thing I have done kicking and screaming. And, you know, it's interesting to me that 
there's there's always more work to do. There's always more work to do, and you know I'm a work in progress. There are always new character defects being uh, revealed to me. Um, I'm very blessed uh, to be in a um, what I think is a functional marriage. I mean, I, I think I'm in a spiritual marriage. My my wife is in recovery as well, and and although they suggest to her that she not take other people's inventory, uh, <laughs> it seems it seems that in in her literature there's an asterisk there, and then you go down to the bottom and it says except for Tom. <laughs> And, you know, it's a dangerous, it, you know, having a, a, an intelligent, recovering spouse is, is a dangerous thing, um, you know, I, and, and she knows me, and, you know, she's sort of, I mean, I, it, it, it can be unhealthy, I could, you know, sort of be dependent on her, and sometimes I feel like she's part of the team that's, you know, raising me up to be a man, uh, and I don't want to be, I don't want to have her be, you know, like in an unhealthy position, but she really, I've allowed her to know who I am. Um, and, and, and she was actually paying attention, uh, you know, and she remembers all of this stuff. And then, you know, when I'm least expecting it, like a good sponsor, you know, when you're least expecting it, they smack you down. And she does that to me all the time. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it's a, you know, they, in, in, in early AA, they, they talked about ego deflation. You know, um, I have that in, in, my, in my home um, on, a, on a daily basis. And, um, and it's very helpful. So, in any case, I'll, I'm going to just qualify a little bit about food, um, which, as I said, I, I, I don't think it's that interesting or important, but um, I, I do love food, and I have overeaten my whole life. Um, I, it's hard to know that you're overeating if, if that's sort of the baseline. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've been overeating since you have, you know, sentient memories, mm-hmm. it's hard to say something's not right about this, you know, because <laughs> th- there's no sort of comparison. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, I've got, you know, supposedly seven years of abstinence, and I'll just say what my abstinence is. Um, well, actually, I'll tell you, uh, my 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 first sponsor is in the room, and and I there's people in these rooms that I love, and I'm very grateful to my first sponsor. And when when we were talking about my abstinence, I mean I came into these rooms with a bad attitude because because I thought you know you, you can't have a like a you know you set the abstinence. Come on, that's ridiculous. I swear, that was my thought. I thought it's got to be clear cut. You know, because we're dealing with people who are weasels, you know. <laughs> you know, if you let them set the abstinence, it'll, I, you know, okay, my abstinence, I will just have a half a chocolate cake per day. <laughs> Not a whole, I'm cutting down to a half, and that's my abstinence. And I've got 25 years of only eating a half a chocolate cake a day. <laughs> that's what I thought. But, you know what, when you're actually, when you're trying to get better, and also when you're working with another person, that's, that is the most important thing, when you're working with another person, it's very hard to like, you know, kind of squeeze that BS into it, and 
one of the problems that I've always had, and I actually still have, is eating in the evening. And I still I talk to my current sponsor about eating in the evening. Sometimes, like after meetings, like you go to a meeting in the evening, you come home, you feel great, and you know feelings came up. You were you know inspired or provoked or whatever, and feelings came up. And you know, for me, it's like I feel tired or angry or lonely or whatever. It all goes to hunger. I mean, I think I'm hungry when really it's nine different things and in the evening it's very tough so my first sponsor and I agreed that my abstinence would be I don't eat past 9.30 I, I flirted a little bit with setting it at 9 but I, I didn't want it to be too challenging so I made it 9.30 <laughs> uh, and I, I explicitly remember that and I'm fairly you know I'm an early to bed early rise sort of fellow and I, I thought you know I'm, I'm in bed by 10 this is this will be easy um, and I, I I'm admitting you know this is like a character defect uh, you know I'm I'm a, a faker and a cheater and a liar and I, I wanted to have an easy abstinence I mean the reason I'm the uh, the delegate is because I, I live close to the place and you only have to go once a month. I mean, I'm always looking for the, what is the easiest, simplest thing I can do? You know, they say half measures availed us of nothing, you know, but they, they don't say anything about, like, the soft measures. And I'm always looking for the soft way, you know, the easy way. And I said, I'm going to set this really easy. I'm going to make it 930 uh, at night. So I did that, and I think I had like maybe seven or eight or nine months of sobriety or abstinence, and um, I'm going into the holiday seasons, and my wife and I went on a vacation with uh, her two daughters by prior marriages, one of whom was a very emotional, like at the time I think she was 22 and was kind of coming to grips with how her mother had completely screwed up her life and she was we were staying in a, a, all, all together in a single motel room and I'm a pretty sound sleeper but she was weeping you know wailing at like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and it was waking me up and, and I, I had no compassion or sympathy I didn't think this poor girl is like you know really upset because her mother you know screwed up her life and she's because she, yeah, I, I didn't think it was true I thought she was exaggerating but the main thing was the main thing was she was waking me up I was very irritated by that and I thought this is not the kind of vacation I want to have so finally we, we got rid of them um, <laughs> we, we went on a different we went on a different leg of the vacation and our 15 year old went with her older sister and her sister's girlfriend um, and then my wife and I had our own little mini vacation and we were in Berkeley because the older daughter lives in Berkeley um, and uh, we wanted to eat at this famous restaurant you know by the way I want to say that in my abstinence I still love food I just eat less of it and, and I actually think you know my my appreciation of food has like drastically increased um, but we wanted to go to this famous restaurant in Berkeley Chez Panisse and it's not the kind of place that you can just sort of show up at you know they say you have to get reservations like weeks or months in advance but you can go upstairs uh, and even then you need a reservation so we got a reservation for 11.30 p.m. That was, that, was the, that was the opening they had and we went I was thrilled to do something that didn't involve these kids <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be my real vacation 
And I remember, I actually, you know, this was seven years ago on January 5th. So just like seven years and like six days ago, I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I, I ordered pork medallions. I'm not actually sure what a medallion is, but it's very tender. It's, it's the tenderest, juiciest part of the pig, the medallion is. It was delicious. But I'm eating this, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my God. It's like, you know, almost midnight. Definitely past 9.30. And I had set this, like, ridiculous uh, abstinence that I thought would be too easy, and I couldn't even keep that abstinence. And, and I ended up having to sort of reset my abstinence. And that was sort of the beginning of a process for me where I, I started thinking a little more seriously about my abstinence and, you know, what it was that... Um, what it was that... Well, what it was I was doing. I mean, why, why was I, you know... It, it, and, and one of the things that makes this whole thing so tricky is because... Um, we, we can't be abstinent from food. You know, we must eat food. I mean, I've heard talk of, you know, breathitarians, but I'm not willing to try that. I, I insist I'm going to eat food, you know. So it's the, then the question is, like, what are the foods that are okay and what are the foods that are not okay and what are the proper, you know, portions and that sort of thing. And it, it, it is challenging, especially, like, when you're still, like, you know, new in the program and you're still, your head is still full of, you know, Distraction. There's a lot of chaos and interference on the line. You don't have a good uh, spiritual connection, and maybe you don't have so much recovery. Um, so what I decided to do was, most of my life had been spent really... I was having a discussion with my wife recently, you know, who, who is a uh, sort of an unrepented compulsive overeater, uh, just she, this woman is the love of my life. She'll never listen to this tape. I'm certain of it. But just the love of my life. And and she just eats whatever she wants, whenever she wants. And she's you know significantly overweight, gorgeous, overweight, but overweight nonetheless. I mean you know like when you eat too much, you gain weight. I mean that's one of the sort of things about this disease that you know you might say is a blessing. I mean you can't sort of fake you know abstinent eating. Um, so, you know, I, I was telling her just recently that I was admitting something she already knew. I said, you probably have never had romantic feelings about food. And she admitted she never had. I have had, like, feelings of, like, affection. And, you know, just like, I'm in a relationship with this piece of food. Um, like, I remember, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention one particular food item, uh, and hopefully if anybody gets really triggered, just raise your hand, but chocolate croissant, like really buttery. You know, I, I would eat those things, uh, like really until I would start to get nauseous. And, and, and it never occurred to me that, I mean, into my adult life. I'm not talking about as a 14-year-old, like in my 30s and 40s. And, and it never occurred to me that there was anything wrong with that. I, I didn't think people shouldn't eat until they start to feel sick. I thought, now what do I eat to take away the sick feeling? And, and I found that you know, orange juice, like a highly acidic thing, would like cut my nausea. So I get, when I was like, when I was uh, eating so much rich sugary, fatty food that I was feeling like 
I was possibly going to throw up. My solution was to have orange juice instead of like, you know, not eat the, the pastries. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I, most of my life, I was about 50 pounds heavier than I am now, 40 or 50 pounds. I mean, I'm a, I'm a very competitive person, and I, I you know, I, I sometimes think, you know, it would be better if I had been more overweight so that when I got up here, I could, you know, say, you know, I've lost like 190 pounds or something like that. But I've only lost 40 or 50 pounds. But the important thing is I've kept it off. I mean, that is the important thing. Unlike the entire rest of the world and food, there's consistency, there's stability. And, and the most important thing is there's recovery. I mean, it leads to recovery. The same way all these other programs lead to recovery. I mean, that's the thing that's important. Um, so, my abstinence starting after this meal at Chez Panisse was that I was going to stop eating pastries. And I said that sort of on a probationary basis. I thought, you know, because I can always change it, right? If that's too hard, I'll just make it easier. Um, you know, but I, I, there's some pride and some ego, and I, I was starting with starting with no no pastries. But you also, to be totally candid, I was embarrassed of that, you know, of that abstinence, you know, because I hadn't heard other people say that that was their abstinence. I want to be like everybody else. You know, people would say, like, my abstinence is, you know, three meals a day and no sugar. Now, I didn't have no sugar because I, I, you know, one of the first things I thought, my mind is always going, uh, I wished it wasn't that way, but it's always going. And one of the first things I thought was, well, let's see, pudding's not a pastry, right? And, and ice cream, that's not a pastry. You know, so it wasn't like I eliminated sugar, but eliminating pastries, to be totally candid, when I came up with that idea, and it was sort of a random idea, it just came to me, uh, I thought it would be impossible. I thought that is not possible. I mean... To me, these are the things that are pastries. Cake, cookies, brownies, pie, you know. I mean, I, you know, everything they sell in canters, you know. I, I mean, I, this is an outside issue, but I was a cab driver in Los Angeles for about five or six years in the 80s. And my shift was like 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And, you know, I loved cancers. You know, I mean, I had, I had feelings of affection towards cancers. <laughs> Just as an institution. Because I knew I could go there and they had the stuff that I wanted. They had the stuff that was going to make me feel, make me not feel, basically. Uh, and make me continue to not grow or change or, God forbid, get some message from God. That's the main, my main purpose in acting out in whatever fashion is to block God's messages. I don't want to hear those messages. Because if those messages get through, I just knew bad things are going to happen. I didn't know exactly what they were, but I knew. The main thing for me, I, I, was, I had a fear of, and still do, a fear of loss of control. I mean, that's kind of, kind of a classic addict fear. The fear of loss of control. It's very ironic, spiritual, um, you know, relationship and spiritual development is similar to addiction, you know, to me in many ways, because it's about 
sort of losing control. So in any case, um, I um, this whole journey for me, I've got seven years of abstinence, um, which changed. And, and interestingly, despite my great worries about, you know, the weasel factor and being able to set your own abstinence, my abstinence has gotten more difficult. Um, and I, and I've, I've added two things. Um, I used to go to Kitchen Sink, and I just want to put, it, put in a plug for Kitchen Sink. I loved that meeting. That was my home group for years. And great speakers. And, and I heard some person speaking from the podium saying, um, um, oh, and I don't drink alcohol. And, you know, I'm Irish, so I have a bizarre relationship with alcohol. And, uh, you know, my, my father, you know, is 80 and still drinking in his dementia. It's, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, I'm going to do that. You know, and, and, I, and I traveled a little bit. And sometimes, like, if you're in, like, a, a place that doesn't have a lot of people and you want to go to a meeting, the only meetings are AA meetings. And I, I was in another fellowship years ago where they, they all said amongst themselves, if you need a meeting, go to an AA meeting. Um, and those guys, this is like 15 years ago in Sacramento, we just went to whatever AA meetings we wanted to go. We didn't care whether they were closed or not. And we, we, and we didn't care, you know, whether they cared. I mean, if we needed me, we went. But I, you know, I, I have some guilt and I thought, you know what, I want to go to a, a meeting. If I want, to me, a meeting is a meeting. You know, I mean, they, they talk about recovery at meetings, you know, an OA, AA, DA, it doesn't matter. So in any case, I hear this person say, I don't drink alcohol anymore. That's just part of my abstinence. And then like a couple months later, I heard another person. And then a couple months later, a third person, like from the podium within six months. And I thought, okay, that's God. You know, if I hear... You know, I mean, people could really mess with me, you know, if they wanted to put this thing together and, and you know, sort of gaslight me, you know, with, with consecutive shares. But I, I thought if I heard it three times from the podium in a six-month period, I should do that. That was, the, that was the extent of my thought process. And, you know, plus I wanted to, like, be able to go to whatever AA meeting I wanted to go to if I needed a meeting. So, actually, now I have four years of AA sobriety. Um, and that's part of my OA abstinence. And then in May of last year, on a totally experimental basis, I stopped having what what people say rec- is recreational sugar. Um, I was having dinner with a, a diabetic who was probably about 100 pounds over the, overweight and was partially blind because of his diabetes, and he orders a chocolate shake. And I said should you be ordering that? And he goes, he goes, oh, yeah, 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 that's fine. And I thought, okay, I'm having a chocolate shake too. And that was my last, you know, because it's not a pastry. That, <laughs> that was my last recreational sugar. Now, that was May 5th, and it just amazes me how fast the time goes, you know. I mean, I, sometimes it's like a consequence of, I, I sometimes am confused what's the consequence of recovery and what's the consequence of just getting older? Um, but some people say as you get older, time passes more quickly, which makes, you know, racking up time easier. So I, I have decided that when I get to a year of no recreational sugar, I'm going to add that to my, um, 
um, to my uh, OA abstinence. Because I figure if I can do something for a year, not do it for a year, I cannot do it forever. That's my theory. Um, so in any case, um, I want to now, so that's, I, I, I always do this, I say I'm not going to say anything about food, and then I start talking about food, and then I talk about it for like 30 minutes. So I, that's, that's enough about food. <laughs> you know what? I do have a little more to say about food. It just occurred to me, I actually lost all of my weight in Weight Watchers. Um, my, my wife, who's been overweight since I knew her, uh, I was trying to assist her in a very sort of codependent, Al-Anon-ish way. And I went to, oh, I went to the Weight Watchers thing with her, and, and I was like, you know, okay, I, I can do this. And I just, like, followed the rules, you know, and ate a lot less, I mean a lot less, um, and then lost a lot of weight. You know, I lost, like, 50 pounds. And I got down to a weight that is actually less than what I am now. And I thought, okay, I did that. But I continued to obsess about food. I mean, during that entire time when I was losing weight, and I was quite happy. I'm extremely vain. Uh, it is a awful, awful character defect. And, and it's, it's the type of defect for me that I don't want to let go. That's the bad defect, the one that you don't want to let go. I don't, I don't want to not be vain. Um, and losing weight, oh my goodness, did that, did that grab my vanity. I just thought, I, I was, I got such a, people, and people raved. People were like, oh my God, you look great. <laughs> and then I would say, oh, thank you. I weigh what I weighed when I was a sophomore in high school. <laughs> and it's just like, are you effing for real? Are you real? Are you that vain? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. And I was. But I, I never, through that whole thing, I never stopped obsessing <laughs> about food. Um, and I was in other programs and having other recovery, learning the, the, the key, you know, is the we. You know, we, that's the key, talking to other people. I never talked to anyone about anything, ever, my entire life. I did some of the most stupid things you can imagine because I didn't run them by anyone, anyone at all. So, you know, I was starting to run things by people and, um, oh, gosh, you know what? I totally lost my place. What was I talking about? We, running things by other people, I, that tied into the thing before that. But uh, vain. pardon? Vain. vain, yes, vain and and letting go of character defects. Just learning what your character defects are. So I continued to obsess on the food. Oh, I remember what it was. I, I I wanted to say that until you start talking to people, you have no way to know that there's a different way. You know, like I said, I I. I rarely overeat now. I mean, it still happens. But at least I, with seven years of abstinence, I now actually know what it is. I know what it feels like. You know, when you're doing it at every meal or eating through the day, you know, that, like kind of feeling like, ugh, I eat too much. You know, that's how I felt all the time. And I, it never occurred to me that there, was, there were other ways to feel. I mean, if I had said to someone, you know, I, I feel like kind of, my, my tummy doesn't feel so good, you know, because I, I really ate too much. 
they, they, they might say, well, my tummy feels fine. You know, because I didn't eat too much. I actually stopped when I was full. You know, I never had that conversation with anyone. And, you know, I mean, it takes a long time just to figure out, like, what does it feel like? I mean, literally, it took me five years into this program before I started like, oh, so that's what it feels like to be full. Okay. And then you stop. Oh, okay. You know. I got that, but it took a long time. We is important. I had lost all this weight, but I still obsessed about the food. Nighttime was always my happiest time. I loved the evening for three reasons. One, I would be eating at night. If it was night, I was eating. And if I was eating, I was happy. Two, I would soon be going to sleep and being uncomfortable. I was, I was so uncomfortable in every part of my life that being unconscious was just like the highlight of my 24-hour period and I was looking forward to unconsciousness I loved sleeping and then the third thing was when I woke up it was going to be breakfast time (laughs) and I remember going to bed kind of like kind of like with a smile on my face thinking about breakfast and again it never occurred to me I mean I just assumed that that's how everybody was thinking and nobody nobody ever talked to me about what they were thinking about late at night before they went to bed but it turns out not everybody's thinking about breakfast (laughs) and I had no idea so I talked to people um, I got a sponsor um, I worked the steps and I think the most important thing is I was in relationship with people. Um, you know, I came to meetings. Um, I did service. Uh, I let some people start to get to know me a little bit. You know, which is a very dangerous thing. You know, be very careful before you go down that road. Uh, I, I had spent my life with with masks, and I had several. You know, and what I found was when I started letting people know who I really was it would trip me up, you know, because I would have a mask on that was inconsistent with something they already knew about me. And, you know, I found out when people love you, this is something I learned in these programs, when people love you, they will say to you, that's, that's bullshit, you know. You know, you told me X, Y, and Z. So what you're saying is, like, really ridiculous. I see right through your mask. I see you because you let me know you. Ha, ha, ha. You know, and, you know, it's like, oh, that's right. That's right. I let this person know me. And then once you start letting people know you, it's very hard to keep track of who you've let know you and who you haven't, you know. And, you know, like, it's very hard if you're, like, wearing, like, different masks, you know, who you've shown this mask to and who you've shown this mask to. And then you finally sort of give up you know I, I heard someone say to the newcomer do we have newcomers here by the way did anybody identify as a newcomer somebody said recently from this podium um, the war's over you lost you know <laughs> welcome you know welcome home and you know I fought I fought everything about everything everything that was good for me I have always fought I have been sort of dragged sort of tooth and nail through recovery I never wanted it 
But if you do the things that you're told, this is the beauty. If you, if you do, if you just do the things you're told, and assuming the person who's doing the telling is not a moron, you know, somebody who himself or herself has some recovery, um, you're going to get better. I mean, you can't not get better if you do the things, the simple things that we're told to do. You know, get a sponsor. Um, call your sponsor. You know, work the steps. Do service. Sponsor other people. I mean, you notice all of those things that I mentioned um, all involve other people. The we has been the key for me. You know, being with other people, working with other people, you know, letting other people get to know me, uh, having other people reveal themselves to me, which is another thing I never wanted. I never wanted that. I mean, just like I didn't want to reveal myself to other people, I really didn't want them to reveal themselves to me because I had this intuitive sense that it was one of those things that, you know, somebody started to, like, reveal intimate details to me. That was going to create some sort of, like, obligation or bond or something. (laughs) Something, you know, it was going to be a relationship, and I knew, I just knew intuitively that that was going to um, cause me to have to do things I didn't want to do. You know, um, so I, I resisted everything. I I got a gift uh, over the uh, Christmas holidays from my beautiful wife, my beautiful wife. <laughs> um, and I just want to read two sentences. You know, these are direct quotes from Dr. Bob and Bill. Um, this is Dr. Bob in 1950. A single sentence. I also get quite a thrill when I think that we all have the same problem. We all did the same things. We all get the same results in proportion to our zeal and enthusiasm and stick to itness. In, that in proportion thing is pretty important, but you know, we all had the same problem. We all did the same things. We all get the same results. But how simple. I mean, it's almost like poetry. I mean, it's just a wonderful thing. And this is what. Bill says, this is, uh, this is 1965, as we know, all AA progress can be reckoned in terms of just two words, humility and responsibility. Um, two things that, that I knew absolutely nothing about when I got into these rooms, nothing, and I'm still just sort of scratching the surface. Our entire spiritual development can be actually measured by the degree of our adherence to these magnificent standards ever-deepening humility accompanied by an ever-greater willingness to accept and act upon obligations. And that's, that's why I resisted recovery. And I think continue to resist it. Because as I surrender, you know, to the God of my understanding, who is a loving God, and I get great stuff. I mean, my life... I mean, this is the insanity of it. My life... I, I mean, I'm living, you know a life beyond my wildest imaginations and still you know I still part of me doesn't want it you know part of me still has the fear of having to do things I don't want to do or be inconvenienced or you know lose control I mean I kind of feel like God is wanting to take over you know I mean it's kind of like a battle between me and her and I I'm afraid. I'm afraid of her. She's big and bad and, you know, powerful. 
And I feel like if I really just sort of absolutely let go, I don't know what would happen, but it would be bad and weird, and, and I just don't like it. Um, but, you know, I'm going to continue to come and continue to do what I, I'm told. I'll continue to have uh, recovery, I hope, and continue to have relationships. That's the main thing. Um, but the defects that I'm working on currently, are, I feel like they're, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say what they are. I mean, I'm extremely lazy. You know, that's a huge character defect. I'm actually pretty mean, you know, as in, like, even sadistic. I have grand sadistic tendencies, <laughs> which, which you wouldn't know unless you actually got to know me. That may, that may eliminate many of you as prospects. Um, but, you know, the people that get to know me see that side of me, and they, you know, they accept me. Um, I mean, people have come to love me. I mean, I have relationships with men, and I can say, these men love me, you know, in OA, uh, and, uh, and I love them. Um, this is the last thing I'm going to say. Um, I want to thank my sponsor, um, who I think would want me to say his name on the tape, but I'm not going to because I don't, I don't think it's a good thing for his humility, and I, I don't like focusing on personalities. But he knows who he is, and I want to thank him for answering the phone from a dead sleep. I didn't know that was something that people ever did, and I, I certainly would never have done it until I realized that it was something that could be done. And sometimes we've had conversations where he hasn't, participated too much in the conversation <laughs> and I didn't find out until later that when he answered the phone he was he'd actually been sleeping right before he answered the phone and I, I think there's no greater service that we can do for each other than simply to answer the phone that is really just a key element and I think we're very close to being out of time we have two minutes I'm going to end there. Thank you for letting me share. What is my relationship like with my higher power on a daily basis? Um, that, that's the perfect question to eat up the remaining minute and a half. Because um, I actually have more than a minute and a half to say on it. I will say that uh, I was r- raised religiously. I have become sort of doggedly I mean, militantly anti-religious. Um, all the major religions, I'm pretty much against them. Um, but I have seen miracles in this and other programs, and I have tremendous respect for what God can do if we let her. So what I try mainly to do is just to be open to the power, which is hard to do. And uh, my sponsor in another program has said that his greatest hope for me is that on my gravestone it will say here lies Tom he was consistent because I'm not consistent and I've never been consistent but I do every morning meditate um, and I do every morning uh, say prayers from from the big book you know the third step seven step prayer and then I read on awakening to the end of the chapter and it may seem like thoughtless it may seem like a thoughtless thing but it's the weirdest thing. My brain is so strange that within a 24-hour period, I have forgotten all of those like seemingly sort of simple and direct things that I've read hundreds and hundreds of times. And I'm like, oh, yes, when I'm agitated or doubtful, I can pause 
and ask God to direct my thinking, ask for the next right thought or action. I, I really should read it on the hour, but at least once a morning, uh, I need to be reminded. Uh, thank you for letting me share. Yeah.